of, of the resurrection. But let me read Luke's account. I love Luke's account. He's a doctor. He's pretty precise in what he says. And so verses 1 to 9, Luke chapter 24, it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, uh, they being the women uh, that actually uh, uh, Malcolm mentioned, um, Mary, Magda- Mary Magdalene, they, a certain, certain other women came with them to the tomb, bringing the spices which they'd prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So he's not there. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Uh, They were angels. Then as they were afraid, the ladies, and they bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's what the angels said. And he is not here, but he is what? Risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Gal- still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. The eleven being the eleven remaining disciples. The title of my message today is Three Reasons Why Jesus Rose from the Dead. Three reasons. I could give you a really short answer and we could, uh, it'll be really quick, but let's just take a moment because the short answer is, is the very reason that you're sitting here this morning. It's you. <laughs> it's you. But let me just uh, give you a little bit more information today. Three reasons why Christ rose from the dead. And the first thing I have to declare to you is Jesus Christ rose from the dead is because I and you have a past. We have a past. It's a past that maybe um, that's been a generally a good past, or maybe uh, um, there's, but there's been maybe some moments in that past. You say, "Well, I just wish I could forget that." Uh, there's a past of some things that I've said and I've done. I know for me, there's some things that I'm said and I've done, and I, I, I'm not proud of them. And so there can be regret, and there can be shame, and there can be guilt over that stuff. But I'm glad that Jesus Christ came to dis- wipe out our past, not wipe it out, but in the sense give us a real hope in the future. So let me talk to you. There's a, there's a verse in the Bible in 1 Peter 1.13 that says there, this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, Peter's speaking, uh, writing, and, the rest, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to just for a moment just say, Peter says, it says, it says here, the grace of the hope, the grace. So we rest our hope on his, because grace is really talking about his mercy and his kindness to us. It's really talking about um, how we don't need to rest our hope on our good works because that will never earn us a place in God's um, books. While we're not, we're not saved by the good things we do, we certainly say do good, do, to do good things. But we see it's the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Because of His resurrection, grace was made possible, His mercy and kindness towards us. He says it's His kindness that leads us to repentance in the Scriptures. It's His mercy and grace and so grace means to stand, he stands ready to forgive us. Um, he stands, he's the only one who can, who can forgive our sin. His blood on the cross cleanses us from sin and his resurrection defeats death and sin. And as um, Pastor Malcolm mentioned this morning in regards to the fact that, that, that you know, the priest would go into the temple and sacrifice an animal and blood was shed for the forgiveness of all the sins of all the people in Israel. And throughout history, even in non-Christian faith, there's always been this understanding historically that something has to die for the forgiveness of sins. 
And, you know, um, there often there used to be a law way back at, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so if you killed someone, you were killed. But I'm thankful today that when we come to Jesus Christ, he says, you know what? I'll be that one in sacrifice that my blood will be shed once and for all, once for all time. And Jesus Christ done that and that's called his grace and so we can be forgiven when we come to God there's only one who can forgive us that's God through the resurrection of Jesus for forgiveness of sins we don't need to live in guilt we don't need to live in shame I love um, John three sixteen. you know the verse many of us could quote it to me for God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what eternal life hey what a great did you notice what God says there he's God so loved us the interesting thing, he does not hate the world. God loves the world. He loves the people in the world more, more specifically. God's not, not looking for an opportunity to trip us up and keep us out of his kingdom or out of heaven. God's not like that. that what East, that's what Easter reminds us. God's gracious towards us. And that's what Easter reminds us. It reminds us that God's love for us, that he sent Jesus Christ, that we might be saved, have eternal life. And why would God... I was contemplating, why would God let his son die? Why would he let his son die and then look for any excuse to keep us out of his kingdom? He doesn't. He doesn't. And if, at the age of, of, of eight, I was in, I think I was in either grade two or three. Teachers can tell me which grade I was in, but I don't remember the grade, but I remember the situation that unfolded. Uh, we, we used to have uh, a classroom of, uh, you know, desks all in aisles, and we had uh, several times during the week, we'd have this book that we were all reading. Everybody had the same book, and we'd have to get it out, and we'd have to put it on our desk, and we'd have to read pa paragraphs of this book. And our male, the guy who was the teacher, a teacher, I don't, I've forgotten his name, to be honest, but I remember some things about him. And um, we would have to follow each other in reading a paragraph. And he would walk up and down the aisles, and if and uh, he would just randomly pick um, students in the classroom to next read the next paragraph. And of course, you had to be following on in the book to know where you were to start to read. He wouldn't tell you you had to follow, which is fair enough. But if you were not following on and didn't know where to start to read, he had this incredibly long ruler that seemed to just stretch for eternity. And wherever he was in the, in the room, he seemed to be able to get you. Because if you were not up to, and you didn't know where to start reading, he'd hit you on the fingers with the ruler. Is that what teachers do today? I'm glad they don't. But I can remember as a, a, a young little boy being totally traumatized by this whole, and it was reading time again, and I used to, I used to dread reading time because I knew what was coming. In actual fact, um, often what would happen, I would be so, um, so nervous about losing my place that I would lose my place because I was concerned about losing my place. And there were several times when the ruler came down across my fingers and, and you know, you couldn't cry. That would be a sign of weakness. Uh, but why am I telling you this? Because God is not like my grade three teacher. <laughs> Aren't you glad? <laughs> That's why I'm telling you that God is not looking for an opportunity to give you the, a whack across the fingers. Um, you know, God is looking for an opportunity not to exclude you. He's looking for an opportunity to include you. For God so loved the world. He gave us his grace of the son and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just a nice thing that Jesus, you know, that God did to his, allowed his son to go through. It wasn't just, oh, let's just, you know, let this Jesus die. No, no, no. It was for a purpose. It was for the purpose of your life. And so if, if this one reason Jesus was rose again, it's because 
It's because um, we have a past and he wants us to know that our past doesn't need to be dictating to our present life or our future. We can be forgiven as we come before him and ask for forgiveness. And you know, shame and guilt has to go. I love that. He wants to give us a better future. And we'll talk about that. There's the second reason Jesus Christ rose from the dead is because we need a friend. <laughs> you may say, yeah, I've got plenty of friends. Well, that's wonderful. I'm wonderful. And it, it seems like a very simple statement to make. Oh, we need a friend. But I want you to know the disciples had lost their closest friend. The, the disciples, the world had, their world had collapsed with the death of Christ. Three years of being together. And now he's finished. They think he's finished. They think he's finished. They didn't know. Good Friday and Easter Saturday were lonely days for the disciples. And actually, some of them within three days had gone back to old, old uh, professions. Some had gone back fishing. Some were hiding. It was, it was not a good time. And you know, sometimes you and I go through the Fridays and Saturdays of life, but I want you to know that there's always a, there's somebody there. Christ was dead and he was encased in a tomb. And the disciples were concerned. They didn't know what to do. But of course, he rose up and was alive and he was leaving. And, and you know, he rose from the dead and he came to them. And they were so excited about that. They were so joyful about that. They were so excited to know that now Christ is alive. And I think for some of them, they thought Christ now can finally uh, get rid of the tyranny of this Roman Empire and sit on a throne and we'll have, you know, heaven on earth. No, that wasn't what Jesus was about to do because he did hang around for many, many, many days speaking to them after his resurrection. But then there came a day when he said, you know what, I've got to go to my father. And it says in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And then he says, you know what? I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And yet they must have thought he's with us and yet he's leaving. And they watched as he ascended into heaven. He's, do, do you understand the reality of what he was really doing? He's going because a physical man can only be with a group of people at one time. But you know, as he went, the Holy Spirit came. And what he meant when he said, I'll be with you even to the end of the age, is his presence through the Holy Spirit could now be with everybody at the same time. I want to tell you, he's a, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Holy Presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' resurrection meant that he could now touch a world and spread out into a world through his disciples, yes, but through, the, through his presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's several times in the Bible when, when Jesus was very present with the disciples. And there was a lot of times when they were on the Lake of Galilee and when they were, there was a storm would blow up. And, and at those times, sometimes the disciples were concerned about the storm or they were even fearful for their lives. And it's amazing, the point is that Jesus was either in the boat or he was coming towards them, towards the boat. And the point is, he was ever present with the disciples in their time of need. And you know, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed today. Your God, through Jesus Christ, he wants to be ever present with you. He wants to be ever present with you. Um, you know, and we need to understand that. Um, you know, you know, God is not only present, but he's very smart. And you know, in our times of need... In our times of concern, he always has a way forward for us. But often I think we've forgotten to ask him for wisdom. Sometimes we, we neglect his, his presence. You know, someone said to me once, you know, it feels like God's 100 miles away. And I just said, well, no, guess who moved? Not God. You know, it's we, we that move away from him. His presence, his friendship, his, his love for us is ever there. He's ever present. Behold, it says in Revelation, he stands at this door and knocks. 
And you know, there's no door handle on the outside. The door handle's on the inside. It's he who opens the door and welcomes him, that he'll come in and have a meal with them. So it's our, on our part. God has done it all through Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, death and resurrection. He now waits for us to respond to him. And so we, it says, ask, and he'll give you wisdom. And you know, there's times in my life when I just really haven't known what to do. Or the search it seems pretty hopeless in the situation. And it's amazing that just lift my voice and sometimes a bit of a praise and some worship just fills my heart with incredible peace. And it's not that the circumstances change so much, but what happens is the atmosphere in my heart changes. So I see a little bit better. I see a little clearer because of his presence in my life. Sometimes I've got questions. I say, God, I don't know the answer to this. And there's ask a time where I've asked him specifically and even recently just asking wisdom. God, I need your wisdom. I, if I don't have your wisdom, you know, I really am not quite sure how we're going to move through this. And it's, and it's astonishing and amazing how God can just give you some wisdom if you're just patient and hold your form, don't rush, don't panic. And he often doesn't give you answers for everything straight away, but he'll give you just enough light for the next step. But that's his presence that does that. Why did Jesus arise from the dead? Because you need a friend closer than anything else. And he can certainly be that. The third thing that Jesus rose from the dead for, and this is the last one, that the reason he rose was because he holds your future. He not only deals with your past, he not only wants to be a present friend, but he holds, there's a future and a hope that he says he has for you. And in the Old Testament, there's this Jeremiah, who was a prophet, and he wrote these words in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Some of you know them. And it says, for I know the thoughts I have, I think towards you, says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. Aren't you glad that God doesn't, your name doesn't come up in a prayer from someone? And he says, just wait a second. He goes on his computer, his laptop or his iPad. He says, I've just got to find your name in the file. No, no, he knows. He knows you. He knows the thoughts and the plans of the future. And he says this, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Aren't you glad about that? To give you a future and a hope. So whether, you know, a future and a hope now on this earth and a future and a hope even as we pass to the next. You know, I am so glad I do not have to fear death. Because there is a future, a hope, even for eternity. Maybe you're here today and I, and I sense that maybe one or two people, you're just concerned your life is drawing to that further end of the scale, I want you to know through Jesus Christ, you can have an incredible peace of knowing where your future is secure, even after you pass from this life through Jesus Christ. And so God is speaking here to the, when he speaks through Jeremiah the prophet, he's speaking to the nation of Israel and God's people. He says, I have plans for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And if you, if you were to read all the verses before verse 11, you discover a couple of things. The one thing that you'll discover is that when God says this to them, a future and a hope, he's actually talking to the whole bunch of Jewish people who are in captivity in Babylon. There's this wonderfully nasty um, king of Babylon called Nebuchadnezzar who took the Jewish people, or a lot of the Jewish people, and took them and enslaved them. Well, took them into Babylon anyway. And the interesting thing you'll also see, so God's saying to them, I'm going to give you a future and a hope. And you know what? It's in the midst of captivity. And sometimes we don't think that. We think, well, God, if you're going to give me a future and hope, take me out of the problem. Take me away. But you know what? Jeremiah, God speaks to them through Jeremiah. And as you read these verses, not only are they in captivity, but God speaks to them through Jeremiah. He says, you know, build houses, plant gardens, have children. Because you know what? The reality is... Is you're going to be there a little while? That's okay. I want to give you a future to hope right where you are present now. 
Sometimes we think, I just, I just need to follow that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know? And we never take an opportunity or we never seize the moment and see that God gives us a future and hope right here. And it's through Jesus' resurrection that he gives us a future and hope. Because he says, right now, in the midst of, of your life, I give you a future and hope. Not for peace and not for evil. I love it, what God speaks to them here through Jeremiah the prophet. Think of the disciples on Good Friday. Their hope had died. They're grieving over the death of Jesus Christ, their, their Lord and Savior and their friend. But they must have forgotten that Jesus had told them, you know, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. They'd forgotten the reality of that. And I, and I, and I want you to know, because every one of us are acutely aware that Jesus Christ rose. But do you know what that means for you today? The same power that rose Christ from the dead can live in you. And you say, what does that mean? What it means is that strength to be able to say, my past is past. That ability to be able to say, you know, right now I can have him in my life and I can know his wisdom and guidance. And in my future, I can be assured that he has my future. That same power. Same power. The disciples didn't, they'd forgotten that Christ was going to rise. They were reminded that fateful Sunday by the women who'd been to the tomb and they'd come back and told them, he's not in the tomb. He's risen. There was these two Men, they were like angels, and they told us he's risen, he's not here. Why do you look for the dead amongst the living? And you know what? I want you to know that Christ, that God would, would want to say to you and speak to you and say, why do you sometimes look at all the rubbish and the dead? Stop looking at that and start to look at what's alive and healthy and whole and see what God has for you. He's got a, such a wonderful future in him. You know, February last year, I've been to the... Um, I had the privilege of being in Israel and in Jerusalem. And when I was there, they took us to a place called the Garden Tomb. And so in the Garden Tomb, uh, you, you can see literally uh, uh, a place called Skull Hill. Uh, the Bible talks about Calvary and they talk about Skull Hill. And, you know, you've got to look at that and go, wow, that's a good chance that that's exactly where Christ died. But about 150 meters from there is this Garden Tomb. And, 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 and there's a... Um, there's a doorway and it goes into a cliff face. Now, I asked my guide, our guide was a Christian messianic Jew. In other words, he was a born again believer in the Lord Jesus. He was a great advocate for Jesus. And, and I asked him, I said, how much do you, really, do you really think this is the tomb of Jesus? He says, ah, he was very real. Mm, possibly not. But he said, you know what? If it was, that's cool. But he said, you know what, if it, it, even if it isn't, it's a great representative of what the tomb would have really looked like. And the point was, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Because we were never meant to focus upon the tomb. We were meant to focus upon the risen Lord Jesus. I was standing in line in this tomb. And... Um, there was, there was tourists. We were tourists. And there was a couple ladies from another country. And they, I don't know what country they were. And, and you know, um, no judgment on them, but they went into the tomb. The guy, he was so zealous to share the gospel. That's what he did with everybody who came to the garden tomb. He didn't care about whether it was right or wrong. He just cared about getting the name of Jesus out there. And so he's standing at the door of the tomb. You've got you to appreciate this. These two ladies go inside. And look, no judgment to them, but they started to sing a little song, which is beautiful. And then they started to weep and weep and weep. And he, he pokes his head in and quote, that's enough of that. 
He's not here. He's risen. Out you come. <laughs> I, I'm like, are you allowed to say that? These two ladies, their tears stopped. They, they got sober and they walked out. I don't know whether they're offended or just really shocked. He had a big smile. Come on, keep going. That's quite what he said. I remember the words. because, So I went in there with a big smile. There was a whole bunch of us Aussie pastors. I've got a picture of it. I, didn't, I should put it up, but anyway, I didn't get it to you. But we're in there. You know, Aussie's kind of joke, and uh, we shouldn't, but we're having fun inside. He finally had to say, come on, guys, um, you know, out of there. Got to let some others in. So I just want to say this morning that we serve a risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What does it mean? Why did he rise again? He rose again because he wants to deal with our past. I don't want to live in the guilt. I, have, I don't need to go there. You don't. And we can be forgiven through Christ. And he wants to be a present friend, a present savior. But he wants you to know that your future can be assured because he rose from the dead. Because his future was assured. It says he went to the, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. Why was the joy set before him? Because he could see past the cross to a day for all humanity. And in 2000, and what year is it? 2021, he'd see you sitting in church, in Port City Christian Church. And he knew for them, I died for them, but I rose again that they may have freedom and victory in Jesus Christ. So how about as the team comes back, we stand as we close this morning and we sing one more time a song of victory and say thank you Lord Jesus Christ okay